The planet is heating up. The oceans are becoming filled with plastic. Change starts now. Change starts now. We're on a countdown to zero waste. Five, four, three, two, one. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. Here's your host, Laura Nash. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast and radio show. On this week's episode, I'm speaking with Alex Bruce, originally from Toronto. Alex and his wife, Celine Lapache, moved to my city of Belleville, Ontario, and opened a restaurant and wine bar called The Lark. It's the most sustainable restaurant I've been to here in Canada so far. So Alex sat down with me in the 91X studios at Loyalist College to talk about sustainability in the restaurant business. So here's Alex Bruce talking all about The Lark. We opened um, in June, so, so not quite half a year. We've gotten our waste down to do about one full garbage bag a week. Some places that I worked would do five, five to ten bags uh, a night. It's really like it's the norm. Oh and, my and gosh! It's, it's, it's too bad because there is things in there that could be recycled. There's things yes. in there that could be composted. We do both of those things. You our compost? Building, we compost. Yeah. One of our kitchen staff lives just out in the county. Uh, they had uh, a couple chickens and things like that. So like when we did use eggs, we're like they're like I'll take that stuff. Any offcuts of vegetables, if we're not pickling them and preserving them or doing something else with them. We can compost them, but our compost is actually very, very low because the way we've designed the menu for the cocktail program, rather than just uh, juicing a lemon or like cutting a wedge to put on a a glass, whenever I see that, I I cringe a little bit because most of the time people either just squeeze it or put it in the glass or they just leave it there. But there's so much more to that one piece of fruit. So there's the zest, which we use for dressings and things. So there's the, the juice, obviously, that can go into cocktails. And then if you do have to cut a wedge or something as a, if a guest wants it, that other half of the lime, which has a very short shelf life once it's open, we just, we dehydrate it. And then it becomes like really beautiful garnish and something unique rather than just having something that would spoil it. You have to recut every day. We have, mm. we, I don't think we throw much, much out if, if we don't have to. So that's a big part of it. The biggest thing that I think we recycle is cardboard, mm-hmm. but we don't bring in a lot of plastics. And you don't have to if you're not bringing in a lot of processed foods. Yeah. And the garbage is... Some, sometimes garbage is like coated paper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Garbage, again, is just a convenience thing. It what? is. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's like just a catch-all. It's like whatever you're done with, just put it all in this one bin and don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you're producing one bag a week, which is amazing. Yeah. Some, sometimes it's a little bit worse, but like that's the goal and the goal will get better and better. That's the thing too with trash is that it fluctuates. So like I'm zero waste. So I like won't produce any trash, but then all of a sudden something will happen that I have a piece of garbage that I have to deal with, right? Like something will come in the mail or someone drops something off or like I have to change a furnace filter, you know, these little Mm -hmm. things, right? So it's always changing, I think. Yeah, that's that's comforting to know too because zero waste, I think it means some different things to different people. And maybe it's just to be more mindful about your consumption and reducing, but getting down to that point of zero, it takes a lot of, dedication and a lot of work and I'm hoping one day that we're down there it's something that I hope we can do as long as we're on that path I think that's what matters like instead of just getting to zero if you're just working on it I think it's fine you know I just bought carrots because our carrots in our garden ran out Mm -hmm. and they have that twist tie around them that says that they're organic yeah Yeah, like you can't really avoid those things until everyone else changes their practices like I think there's these little things that we can do and I don't think we have to be at zero to 
make a huge difference, you know, if yeah. we just stop with those shopping bags and plastic water bottles and stuff. I went to um, Sweden last year to compete like in the global absolute competition because they won for Canada. Absolute's a great company. They're the most sustainable distillery on the planet. And I think they're almost like carbon neutral. Like they base anything that comes as waste, like carbon mon- uh, dioxide from the fermentation, they, they capture and they, they use it in other processes or sell it to other companies. So this um, is Absolute Vodka? Absolute Vodka, yeah. And so you're doing competition? Yeah, so, I, so, so last year prior to opening the Lark, I did the Absolute uh, invite, which is what they call it. They have like a, basically every country competes. And then when you win in your country, you go to uh, Sweden to compete. So I did that one. And uh, I also did one for Havana Club. So, so my, my background is more in cocktailing and still ends more into wine. And everything that I'm trying to do in our cocktail program as well is just eliminating all the excess, all the excess sugar. Because in most cocktail programs, there's more sugar on the bar than there is spirits. You'd be surprised that underneath the, the bar top, in, in one of the last bars I worked, I think there was 21 different simple syrups at a certain time. And it's really profitable to sell people sugar water, but it's not really good for people. So no. I, when we started this list, we're like, we don't really have to be beholden to anyone. So let's make the list we want to. So all of our cocktails don't have any simple syrups. That's your biggest balancing agent. If you have citrus or if you have other things, sugar is always going to balance it out. So how do you do it? You just got to gotta find the right spirits and the right liqueurs and you can find the right sort of balances. Yeah. And then you can use things like real herbs and, and real fruit, right? Exactly. To, to make the cocktails instead of that uh, syrupy stuff that yeah. probably comes in plastic a lot or like those PET lined cartons. And I remember Celine saying something about instead of egg whites, you guys use something. The aquafaba. So that's uh, that's an alternative to egg whites. And one of the reasons is um, to get an egg white, you have an, an egg shell and you have an egg yolk that you're not using. And you can be pretty creative with egg yolks in the kitchen if you're going to make desserts or there's a, there's a whole bunch of uses for them but unless you have like a dozen chickens in your backyard you're probably <laughs> going to be throwing out a lot of eggshells and uh, we sort of made a commitment at the beginning that we won't use or bring in something to sell in the restaurant that can't have more than one use so the egg white is a great example some people say you can just buy you just buy liquid egg whites but then again you're, you're getting it in a plastic carton right mm-hmm. something that's going to go in the garbage um, the other reason for that is the aquafaba is... Ba- so if you don't know it, it's basically just bean water is what it means. But after you cook chickpeas or white beans, most people will dump that water and strain it. But that water has like a really good viscosity that's very similar to egg whites. Is so that the idea- like the foamy stuff when you cook beans? Like yeah. there's that foamy kind of layer. Yeah. So you can get off the film, but afterwards that, that water... It doesn't really taste like anything. Maybe it's a little salty if you season the water, which we don't. But it's just... Um, yeah, it's just like a really thick water. And when you shake a cocktail with egg whites, it gives you that foam. And the mark of like a good sour cocktail is to have a good texture from that foam. And it gives you the same, as long as you do it right. <laughs> Which took a lot of experimenting, but I think we got it pretty close. That's so cool. Yeah. So you make it yourself too? Like you make beans and then use that water? Yeah, so, so that was the idea. So on our, on our menu, on our food menu, we knew that we were like we were going to be making sour cocktails because that's a staple of every good cocktail program. And I think we have about two or three. So if anyone knows like a whiskey sour cocktail, that's traditionally made with an egg white. I know somewhere in like the 80s and 90s, they got like bar mix on, on the pop guns, but that's not a real whiskey sour. <laughs> um, trust me, like give it a try if you've never had one. The texture, like it emulsifies the, the citrus, right? Because usually there's lemon juice or lime. We knew we had to have that on the cocktail program. 
we knew we wanted to use an alternative like aquafaba. And then so we were like, okay, so now we would have beans and we can do a lot of things in the kitchen with beans. So we have a, a hummus that we usually just put on like some of our bread dishes when people come into the restaurant. We have a white bean ragu right now uh, that's going with a few of like the main course dishes. So so there's like there's multiple options and there's there's ways where I can get it where I don't have to waste other products. That's aquafaba. Basically, that, do you want me to talk a little bit about the lark first? Like about building the space? Because I think that was our biggest challenge with being zero waste. We had three spaces that we demolished and we had like a lot of material there that could have went in the garbage, but we, we tried to reuse as much as possible. Um, and there was no restaurant in there before. So it was like blank slate. So that's kind of a, a bit daunting, but it's also a blessing. So when we built our kitchen first, we did no no natural gas lines. We're using all induction. Are you, are you you're familiar with induction? So it's like it's bigger in Europe kitchens right now, but in North America, the standards to use a natural gas um, and induction is uh, just uses magnetic energy so it's it's way more efficient than using any conventional electric it's i think if you give it more years you're going to start seeing it pop up more and more on this side of the the pond but that way we're like we're not burning any fossil fuels it's way more energy efficient all of our food that we make don't require any like deep frying or anything like that we that's kind of like a really i think not an necessary way to process food and then really wasteful when you think of all the oil and whatnot probably not, not the healthiest yeah, yeah exactly so uh that was a deliberate choice for us we put in like all high efficiency like on-demand water and um like led lighting and led fixtures so that's great the bar top the tables all of those were just pieces of construction that we could salvage the bar tops all oak but then we had the off cuts on the end that we made into like our charcuterie boards so rather than going into the construction landfill we've tried to repurpose them and i think we don't have any wood that went in the garbage because of that so if nice. you come in and you you notice when you're sitting at a table look at that and look at the bar and you're like oh yeah these are these are basically the exact same thing i try to switch it up so people on the bar can see some contrast and they don't realize that it's blending in we did all led like uh, table lighting so like candles we would go through like a hundred candle sets a day at our last restaurant and we're like that that adds up quite a bit so like the led ones are not really romantic but we've kind of like wrapped them in like this nice art on wax paper that one of our employees in the kitchen's an artist so she did that and it was fantastic we use reusable cloths in, in the bathrooms like you use cotton hand towels to wipe your hands we use linen i think that's like one i mean you have to wash them but it's a lot more sustainable than yes. newspapers Mm-hmm. So you don't have to replace something. You're just starting right with yeah. the best materials. So that was something I noticed when I went into the bathroom is that you can just wash your hands. It's so much nicer using a nice little hand towel than trying to like pull soggy paper towel out of a thing <laughs> yeah. or like trying to wave your hand in front of it. And you're not sure if there's paper towel in there or if you're supposed to be waving your hand around it or if yeah, there's exactly. a button. <laughs> <laughs> and then you just put it all in the garbage and like you'll see this whole garbage usually at restaurants that's just full of paper towel that could be compostable, right? Of course. Yeah. People people throw things in, in landfill because when faced with the choice of being like slightly inconvenienced by finding a recycling bin as opposed to a garbage bin, they're going to just... Do do what's out of habit. I'm not faulting everybody for it. I've probably done it more. But now that I'm taking more notice in this project, I realize how often you do things that you got to think about more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a challenge for us every day. I think it's it's great to try and pursue being more sustainable, whatever that definition means to people too. But it's constantly finding new things. Like in our restaurant, we don't have um, we don't have straws because we're like we don't really need straws. But some people are so used to straws that if you don't offer them one, it, it's going to be a a bit of a shock and transition. People need to have their own agency in those. So we have brass straws and stainless steel straws. And I think you're going to see those more. They're expensive. Like if you're a hotel that serves like a thousand people a day, having like a thousand straws on hand is probably a a big investment. But 
I guarantee if you were to work out the cost of each box of those disposable straws, you'd pay for it over a month or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, because that's the problem. Like these things are cheap. So that's why people want to stick with them. They're like, oh, it's only a few dollars a month or whatever to have yeah. these these plastic straws. But it does build up over time. And yeah, you do notice that when you walk into the bar, you can notice all your reusable straws. Uh, you have cloth napkins, right? Yeah. Um, for, for the tables as well. And I, I we calculated the wattage in the dining room because I think it's like a two watt bulb as opposed to an 80 watt would normally be. And I think all of our dining room runs on the equivalent of one regular Edison bulb. So that's pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah. It's very cool. A restaurant uses like so much hydro. The little things that you can save make up for for all the costs that you invest in like newer technology. Yeah. I think a big issue <laughs> with restaurants is like, like they just don't want to wash stuff. Totally. So that's just something that we have to do. How do you wash the the napkins and everything? Do you have to like take them out or do you have like a washer in there? Yeah, no, we, we don't have laundry services on site. We, we do those off site. We have 40 seats. So if we budget enough to have like two and a half linens per seat for a night, so on a busy night, maybe we'll use all of those. On a slower night, we might not. And we have like two full sets. We can go a whole day or two days and still be okay to have it done the next day and back in, in service. So That's good. Yeah. Washing things, like you said, like I think that's an, another problem with the food side of things is the cheaper foods or the easier to execute foods, the foods that won't, don't require as much work to prepare, come with a lot more garbage and a lot more landfill material. You know, if you're, if you're getting pre-prepped food, it's always coming in boxes. It's always coming in plastic. If you buy food from the farmer's market... The only thing that's on there is maybe a little dirt from like the ground. Just probably good for you anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not encouraging anyone to eat dirt <laughs> at all. But Depending on the dirt. Wash your stuff. <laughs> yeah. Belleville is like such a gem. We're so close to not only the county that has this great wine, there's so many farms that surround the area and it's a huge area. And then there's guys like, uh, like Max Vailer from Green Wheel Farms. He's got an urban farming project where he like uses his entire front yard, his backyard, and like his neighbor's yards. He does all <laughs> of our microgreens. He did some really great uh, vegetables in the summer. And it's year round because he can bring those things inside and still use the light. So urban farming is like, it's super cool um, and something we wanted to do. But we have we have two kids right now in a new business. It's It's a pipe dream. There's a farm locally that we're working with. And this is like a part of the Lark that is maybe like our biggest... An Im- most ambitious project. Uh, it's a farm that raises organic lamb and they do have some crop, but one of the sons is really into like sustainable farming and companion planting as opposed to spraying and doing everything organic. So he Good. basically chiseled out a, a, an acre plot for us. And we talked about some of the things that we wanted to have in the restaurant and how we could sort of stagger it. So we always have stuff coming in at least through the season. So this was our first year. So we went from seed. So nothing like a, a blank slate and we got a, quite a bit. We didn't get enough to fully sustain all of our like produce, but we did get a majority of our produce for the restaurant off of this. We have a few shelves in the kitchen that are stacking higher and higher as it goes on of like preserves and pickles and things that basically when he's like, when he showed up and he's like, I got 50 pounds of zucchini. We're like, well, I'm, we're not gonna be able to use all these before we're fresh. But the idea is like, if we can preserve and really keep on top of that throughout the season, we'll be able to sustain the off season a little bit more without importing things. So is that where the jars came from? Yeah. Yeah. We invested heavily in Mason jars. I wish I invested in the companies before because, <laughs> um, yeah, a lot of jars, but they're reusable as well. It was your friend doing the jarring or were you guys doing the... Yeah, we're doing the jarring as oh, well. Oh, wow. That's yeah. a lot of work. It's a lot of work. 
We use in our kitchen, we have a few sous vides. It's an immersion circulator, so it cooks things oh, in cool. water. Often people will vac seal things and throw them in there, and it's a great way to cook because you can be really precise with your temperature. So I use them a lot for canning because rather than boiling and worrying about break, breaking glass, when things come in, we process them, and it's super easy. We have one that we're always just preserving and canning things in. And then the other one, when we're doing food for service, rather than using plastic bags to, to vacuum seal and put in there, you can use glass jars in those as well. So mm -hmm. we're eliminating that plastic too. And it kind of works double duty. We always have things on the go in both. Wow. Good for you guys for doing so much. Yeah. It sounds like it's a lot, but I, I would argue that it's, it's so simple once you get into it compared to like working in bigger restaurants. And I haven't worked much in kitchens. I, I've done a few like entry level positions in there back like a decade ago when I was getting into restaurants. Um, there's so much going on in those kitchens. Um, really what we're doing is, is very, very simple. I think we're buying a lot of things that aren't processed from farmers markets, from local vendors. Um, are a lot, of, a lot of charcuterie we're either doing, or there's a couple of families in the area that are doing that for us too. So we don't really need to like worry about things being shipped, being packaged and the food. When it comes in, we do very little to it. Like when you see our menu, a lot of the things, I mean, they're staples of a, of a, of a typical wine bar. There's like tartars, cheese boards, charcuteries. Um, but then when you look at some of the main courses, cause we do have a full restaurant, the things are, are quite simple too. Like we have like some duck dishes with the white bean ragu. Like there's very little processing and, and things to have. That's sort of what keeps us going. Cause 40 seats with like a hundred square foot kitchen is impossible to do otherwise. Yeah. So yeah. simple ingredients, local, local ingredients, and you have a nice local list of wine and beer. And uh, you took part in Quinnilicious too, which must have been very easy for you since... It was great. Yeah, it was super easy. Uh, this is our first experience with Quinnilicious. It was great. It's a different style of eating than our restaurant because all of the Licious series, even from Toronto, like Winterlicious, Summerlicious, those are all like a, a prefix menu. So there's coursed options. Right. And the way that we sort of made our menu is to be more of a social eating experience. So we don't have our menu really separated between appetizers and mains per se. There's a lot of things that are really uh, designed to encourage sharing, things like shareable boards. Um, we have like a mushroom duck cell terrine, and it's it's meant to be like everyone can kind of go off the same plate. Um, so kind of switching up our our style of service was a challenge. But other than that, all the food was local enough that we didn't really need to change much recipe-wise. Mm -hmm. It got a lot of people in. It got a lot of people who are used to eating that way come in and try some new things. And I think it got a lot of people introduced to like a different style of of going out and dining. It is a lot more of a social experience. We have on our wine list, I think it's pretty ambitious, but we do taste pours. We do like medium sized pours and then we do like kind of classic wine pours. And uh, I think the thing that we've been the most successful with is the smaller pours. People will, will grab a few wines. And if I get two or three tastes and you get two or three, it becomes a lot more social because we're talking about them and maybe exchanging them rather than us each just getting one glass of something. You know, the zero waste thing is also all about focusing on experiences more so than things. Mm, so instead of, great. you know, going and buying your kid all these toys, like, you know, why don't you take him for a walk or something? Yeah. You know, <laughs> or like what you're saying, like instead of just eating quickly and, you know, going through the drive through, if we can just make some time to sit down and enjoy food, then we start thinking about food and wine, right? And then sure. all these things like this conscious – buying and conscious enjoying, I think, becomes a thing, which is so good. Yeah. Is there anything that is like a challenge? Do you find like that you just like, you know, you can't get rid of, like you're saying like the paper, like obviously you have to have big boxes of veggies, I would assume that would come in. Yeah, um, there is. 
right now we do our menus on like recycled post-consumer waste paper. We, we have like this cool paper that's made from old t-shirts, which is groovy. Old t-shirts? Yeah, you can buy this paper from Moo. It's really, it's awesome. Like um, M-O-O? Yeah, so they, they do like a lot of business card printing. We tried doing like um, just chalkboard menus for everything. And this, this comes down to people's like habits. And when you don't have something in your hand, you feel really disoriented. At least some people. And I know I've, I've mm. been to places. We worked at a restaurant in Toronto called Farmhouse Tavern. And everything was on the walls. You didn't get anything when you sat down. And if you didn't get to a table to like kind of interact with them and acclimate them and orient them to what they're doing, you could see them getting a little stir crazy and a, a little bit um, agitated. So it's like a lot of people have been like, oh, I don't have a straw or I don't have a lime wedge. And if you just give them like the one minute to say, here's what we're doing. And, and I'm happy to give you one of those things, but they might think about it next time. And be like, I don't, I don't need a straw. I don't really need a straw for this drink or I don't need that wedge or I'm happy just to look on the wall on what the specials are rather than have it on a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. So eliminating that's one. We're using a pretty cool like iPad POS system now where you can just email receipts. Some people still want the physical one, but if you kind of change your verbiage being like, would you like a receipt to do you need a receipt? Often like <laughs> yes. you'll, 90% yes. of the time you'll change the outcome. Yeah, It's these little changes, right? Yeah. I think like if Starbucks just said for here to go. It would eliminate so many of those garbage cups because oh so many people yeah. sit down, right? Mm -hmm. And nobody asks anymore. So it's, it's just true. these tiny little things, right? So uh, smart. We've taken these resources and we've started to produce them so cheaply yeah. that to grow business, you're like, oh, it's such a small expense if, if I can increase efficiency. And efficiency isn't everything, you know, like at the end of the day, you can be super efficient, but super wasteful. You can be super profitable by selling food that's really pre-packaged and pre-processed. And at the end of the day, are you going to be happy and are you going to be proud about that? And are you going to feel good eating that stuff yourself? So we have two kids and that's the biggest impetus to do better. Yeah. We're not going to be perfect, but there's, there's all these things that we're leaving to them, whether it's our restaurant, whether it's this planet, whether it's the air around us. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, those, those are the, the impetus for us to, to think about these things and in a more fine way. I think uh, way. as parents too, we have to teach our kids right from wrong. And so maybe we start thinking about this a little more. Like, is it a good thing that we're doing this? Or is it a bad thing that we're, you know, buying a two, four pack of water <laughs> bottles and, and, <laughs> yeah. and just drinking out of those. And I think we start to think a little bit more and be better examples, I guess, for our kids too. But you certainly don't need to have kids to be eco-conscious or anything like that. But I think it's made me more, more think about the right and wrong. So you said that the receipts, you can email them. I thought for some reason that by law or something, you had to give people receipts. So is that not true? You do have to give someone a receipt, but it doesn't specify which way you have to give it to them. So email is totally you can fine. email it to them. You can text it to them. Sure. Wow. Okay. Because receipts are a huge, huge problem. And I don't even want to touch them because you know they have BPA on them, right? A lot of them. Oh, yeah. That's one of the the biggest ways you get BPA because... It's, wow. It comes off of those receipts like so easily. And I didn't know it was skin permeable, which is like crazy. Mm -hmm. So yeah. And imagine the cashiers, right? Who are just constantly handling them. Uh, they're getting pretty big doses of it. So that's good. That's one of those things where like I find in my personal life too, there's many things where you do out of habit for so long that you don't think about them. And I'm sure that's one of those things, mm -hmm. you know, somewhere along the line in the fifties, we're like, we can make these cool printers that print receipts on this paper with like this thermal, whatever. And no one looked at it for 50 years and now we are, <laughs> but we're so indoctrinated into it that it's, it's hard to change our ways. It's the paper napkins of the world. It's the, it's the plastic bags at the grocery store. Even the, like, sometimes, you know, you know, you're going to the grocery store, but you don't think about bringing your reusable bags because you, 
you haven't had to do that for so long. It's really hard to remember. I mm-hmm. still haven't remembered to call a hotel ahead and tell them not to put the shampoo and conditioner in the room. That's like my next zero waste goal. Mm. Do people notice that you're zero waste? Like, do you ever, like, am I the only one who's like, yay? <laughs> you know what? Um, when I shared with our staff, like when we were, when we kind of recruited our first team and I was like, this is something that is so important to us. One of our staff who, who is from this area, like born and bred, he's like, you really shouldn't like fly the flag on that so much. And I was like, well, I think it's like, it's a point of pride for us. It's a challenge, but it's also something we should really celebrate. He's like, yeah, but, but some people out here are going to maybe not take that the right way or like look at it like it's a judgment. And the whole practice by by very nature is not to be judgmental. So with our food, you're like, it's delicious and it's made like it as sustainably as, as we possibly can. And it's not made without adding any sugar to our recipes. Yeah, I think there's a big connection between being healthy and eating like natural ingredients and stuff because basically sometimes we'll just say, well, if you don't eat any packaged food, you're going to be a lot healthier because that means you're going to be eating the the farm food, you mm-hmm. know, and the the meat if you eat meat and and just natural things more so than like stuff that's been super processed and additives, you know, to make it last on the store shelves rather than add nutrients to the people that are eating it. Mm-hmm. That's my biggest problem with like even trying to buy bread at the grocery store. It's like, why are there 15 ingredients in this <laughs> when I make it with like two ingredients? Yeah. <laughs> well, three, I guess. So, we work with this beautiful company in, in town. It's a it's a sweet couple that they started a, a bread company called Small Scale. Um, and they just do really small batch, like natural ferment sourdough. And it, it's wild yeast. So they don't add any of lab cultured yeast to their bread. And I find that people like my sister, who like is sensitive to gluten, um, we have a few friends that come in and they can have that bread and they enjoy it. And it's delicious. And they don't have those reactions. And the same thing happens with wine drinkers or people that uh, say they can't have it because of the sulfur. I can give you a wine that is very low sulfur, but that might not be the issue. When you look at the mass produced wines, they all usually have like lab cultured yeasts or other additives. Those are the same things that the bread have. And usually Mm -hmm. it's common that you see people that they say they can't have both of those things. But if you give them a wine that's made naturally, that's fermented without adding any sort of lab cultured yeasts or enzymes, you may find that they can enjoy those things. Regardless of their sulfur, if we're not adding all of our like artificially made or, or chemically altered things, people are usually fine with it. So mm-hmm. there's maybe like a, a long winded answer to say that, like, I, I think that, like you're saying, all the additives are maybe more problematic than what's natural. Absolutely. I think that we're going to find that soon or we won't. And I don't know what's I don't know what's happening, but there's <laughs> a lot of problems with health and with children, you know, and even like emotional problems and stuff that we're seeing with a lot of kids that I feel really bad about, like mental health stuff, you know, and I just wonder if BPA is messing with our endocrine systems mm-hmm. and like making us not being able to control things properly or I don't know. I think it is all connected and I think that we should be eating more uh, simple foods like from the farm. So I'm really glad that you're here so that I can go and <laughs> go and eat good food. And I know that it's, you know, minimum packaging and all that stuff. For our kids, we usually bring all of their own food. We've become like large purchasers of glass because, you know, you don't got to worry about glass jars as much as plastic, but we give them their own diet. That's different, I think, than a lot of other kids uh, at daycare, at least. And Sometimes we get some flack for always like saying, no, we don't want to give our kids this. We want to give our kids our own food. But really all it is is like, did it grow out of a ground? Or like, is it something that has like one degree of separation from where you have it? Then they can have it. I don't I don't really have much other restrictions other than that. But if it's been to a factory, you probably don't want to have it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that's the same with the restaurant. There's some things like are so much easier to just buy. Like buy a 
I don't know, a condiment like mustard. You can make it yourself though. I mean, that one's kind of like, I don't know, it's not really a local thing. Limes aren't a local thing. You, you, you're kind of limited in certain things, but. Yeah. Yeah. Someone bought my kid when he was a baby banana cookies. And I was like, that's weird. Like I would just give him a banana. And I looked at the ingredient list and it was like artificial flavors, artificial colors. Like there are like 15 ingredients in it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'd much rather just give him a banana. <laughs> yeah, like, there was no banana in those cookies. I don't even, there might not have been. I don't think there was, mm. but, but yeah, that's the way of the world. So. It totally is. And, and I don't, <laughs> I don't blame people at all because if they did, then I'd have to take a lot of responsibility for things that I still probably mindlessly do. And I, I'd say that like, Profitability wise, if that's your biggest concern, being more sustainable is going to be more profitable. You look at some of the, the like absolute, absolute is like one of the most profitable distilleries in the world. And it is the most sustainable distillery in the world. The entire company, actually like here at Loyalist College where we're recording this, when walking up to the doors, they've re-labeled the garbage and the recycling so the garbage doesn't say garbage anymore. It says landfill. Yeah. And that's like one of those little verbiage things like, do you need a receipt? Where you, you <laughs> directly connect it. You're like, no, I don't need this. Or like, oh, that's going in a landfill. It's not going into this mysterious pile of garbage that doesn't exist. <laughs> that's yeah. great. Because right? all that garbage still exists. It's going to exist in 100 years. That's the thing. Nobody knows that it, it doesn't go away. Everybody just thinks it goes away. But it doesn't. Unless you're like in Sweden and burning your trash. And then it's still you still have to bury the ash or like do something with the ash, right? So... Uh, we just... It's like a um, planet of the apes is like great because like when he finds like all these like artifacts of like humans, I'm like, those aren't going to be the things that we're, we're not going to find a cute doll. We're going to find <laughs> packages of Dorito sweet chili heat and like things like that. And you're going to be like, oh my God, who lived here? <laughs> what were they doing? Like so many diapers. So, so many, many diapers. diapers. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. Well, this has been so great. So I'm, I'm really happy that you're here in Belleville and uh, that you're doing all these things. And I think you're, you're, you're going the right way. Start sustainable right from the beginning. And then you don't have to look at all these processes and, and change them and check them and do cost analysis and hire people, you know, mm -hmm. can we afford to like switch these napkins? You know, it's just like, no, just do it. Totally. <laughs> I think that like the the think globally, act locally. It's so simple to like follow those very vague principles in like day-to-day -day life. And if if I can say one thing in this whole podcast is that I've I've never had like the the benefit of like profiting greatly from any non-renewable thing, but I am having the benefit of like a business that's doing well from things that are sustainable. I may not know the other side of it, but I can tell you that this side works too. That it works, yeah. And that's all we need. It works. You're, you're fine. You know, you, yeah. can, <laughs> you can do it. Easy peasy. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Awesome. That was Alex Bruce, co-owner of The Lark Restaurant here in Belleville, Ontario. If you like our show and want to help save the world from all this trash we're consuming, please consider donating to the Zero Waste Countdown. You can become a patron on Podbean. You can find me on Patreon. Or you can donate right on the website, zerowastecountdown.com. And if you're interested in seeing a photo of our guests, you can check us out on Instagram. That's zero underscore waste underscore countdown. And if you want to email me, it's laura at zerowastecountdown.com. Thank you for listening, everybody. Thanks to all our listeners in America, Canada, Australia, Germany, the UK, and wherever else you may be tuning in from. Together, we're going to change the world. Change starts now. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast.